the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Hello, listeners. Wanted to let you know that we are going to run the top three best of podcasts from 2023 over the next few weeks. I handpicked three of the top ten based on number of listens, and I hope you enjoy our reruns. Today, it is my pleasure to welcome Cindy Crenshaw to our podcast. Cindy is a coding specialist with Ortho Carolina and recently presented 2023 E&M updates for our orthopedic boot camp. Cindy, welcome to our podcast. Thank you. You covered a bit about injections and medications. Can you please explain the difference between CC and milligrams when that comes to billing an injection? What needs to be documented in the note about the actual procedure? It seems like a no-brainer. Oh, that's pretty much equal, but I know you guys like to document in CCs, but drugs are actually billed in milligrams. And so sometimes it works out to be equal, but it depends on the strength of the drug you're using. So here's an example. Um, We love Celestone around here. Celestone is billed in three milligram units. So if you're billing one CC of three milligrams, then that's just one billing unit, so that that works. But if you're injecting one cc of six milligrams, that's actually two billing units. So you have to pay attention to how the drug is billed, and then you also have to note the strength that you're injecting. We find in our audits for injectable drugs that if you are entering your own charges, meaning you actually enter them into your system, you tend to have a good grasp on how this works. It's when you're circling something on a piece of paper and handing it to front desk staff and they enter it, that's when we see the discrepancy and the way things are billed incorrectly. If your clinic does that, if you circle stuff on a piece of paper and hand it and know she's doing it right or he's doing it right, great, keep doing it. But the minute you have to hand it to somebody new, just make sure they understand how the drug billing works and so that you get credit for the units that you're actually injecting. It's important when you're doing an injection that you document all of the following. You need to document the patient's consent to the injection. You need to document the exact anatomic location of the injection. You need to document the medication you're injecting and then the exact dosage of that medication. And lastly, you need to document the results or the patient's reaction to the injection. Unspecified coding, unacceptable as an ICD-10 code. What does unspecified code mean? Does that mean you just need to search it a little bit further and get the right or the left side? Or how does that work? Yes, unspecified codes. Those are our codes that end in nine. Those are not good. You know what side of the body you're working on. You know if it's the right knee or the left knee. So please don't use those unspecified codes that end in nine. You must use the codes with the laterality. You need to use the codes that end in one for the right side and the codes that end in two for the left side. So codes that end in nine get denied. All right, Cindy, the tobacco cessation that you talk about discussing with patients, you can code for that. Honestly, I don't really spend a whole lot of time. If somebody's a smoker, I say, you know, you should quit. It's bad for your bones and we move on. I don't really code that. Do you have to document it? What do you have to include if you document that, if that's a part of your visit that you're going to do? 
yes, it's definitely necessary to document. So if you are doing tobacco cessation or nicotine cessation counseling, which I know you are because it has an effect on the patient's health and their, even their orthopedic health, you're doing the counseling, you need to document that so that you can get credit for it, bill for it. The CPT code for cessation counseling is 99406. And you would bill that with an ENM visit. You can bill it with an ENM visit in the clinic. You could bill it with an ENM visit at the hospital. I have to tell you, I've never seen 99406 billed with a hospital ENM visit. I don't know why. You can do it. If you smell smoke on a patient, then you need to be doing this tobacco cessation counseling and you need to document that you've done it. You must document that you've done at least three minutes of cessation counseling. And it, you don't just document that you encourage the patient to quit, but you have to document that you've done the cessation counseling. It was provided. It's easiest to create a template here so you, you don't have to keep doing it every time. We have a whole process in place where we actually insert the documentation, we bill for it, we insert the, the diagnosis code, because if you're going to bill it, you must also have a diagnosis code, then you need to use those F's, F is in Frank codes for the diagnosis when you do cessation counseling. You cannot use the Z codes. Most of our providers still do that, and we have a big edit in place that changes them. This will not get paid if you use the Z codes for tobacco use. You have to use those F codes. The most common one is F17.210. That's smoking uncomplicated. So you would document the diagnosis code of F17.210. You would build the 99406 with your ENM visit. And you get to append modifier 25 to the ENM visit in this scenario because this is a separately identifiable service on the same day as the procedure. That's another example of when you would use modifier 25. Your system will probably add it on the back end like ours does. That's how you bill 99406. Let's talk about incident two billing. This has always been a thorny subject. What does incident two mean, Cindy? And when can it be used? Incident 2 billing is really a Medicare-specific way of billing in the clinic setting. So these are outpatient visits, clinic visits that are provided by a PA or a nurse practitioner, but actually billed in the supervising doctor's name. And this is how this works. There's certain criteria that must be met to do this. It has to be, number one, an established patient. And it has to be an established problem that was initially evaluated by that physician and the care plan was established by the physician. And then the third criteria is the supervising physician must be on site and immediately available. So this scenario would be the doctor has seen the patient for this problem and has set up a plan of care and the patient is seeing the PA in follow-up. And the PA is carrying out that established plan of care that the doctor set. So the minute that patient starts talking about something else, that's no longer an incident two situation. And then the PA would then bill the visit in their name. We actually don't do this at Ortho Carolina. And the reason we don't is because we found it impossible to police if our PAs were seeing follow-up problems or not. Most of our PAs see new problems. And so to us, it wasn't quite worth it but I know a lot of places do it. You just have to make sure that if you are seeing a patient and billing in your doctor's name, that these three criteria elements are met. 
If you ever see a patient for a new problem and your doctor is not seeing the patient also, you should build a visit in your name. What is a Medicare shared visit? Can you please give us some examples of how that works? And is that a clinic visit charge or does it only apply to hospital billing? The Medicare shared visit, these are hospital visits. These are hospital E&M visits that are shared between the doctor and the PA. So these could take place at two different times. The doctor could see the patient at one time and the PA could see the patient at a different time, but it has to happen on the same billing date. So these are shared visits, not necessarily at the same time, but on the same billing date of service. An example of this is if a PA is on call and sees a patient in the hospital and decides, hey, this patient needs surgery. If the doctor also sees the patient on that same date of service, then that visit could go out in the doctor's name. And here's how that works. Either if you're billing based on time, if the physician spent more than 50% of the time, then that visit could be billed in the physician's name. Or here's the other way that could work. If the physician didn't spend the bulk of time, but the physician provider either the SAM or the medical decision-making, then the visit could be billed in the physician's name. For us, it doesn't usually happen like this in the hospital. If a PA is on call, the PA would see the patient, decide the patient needs surgery, and then the patient would be NPO to the next morning, and then the doctor would see them the next morning for an H&P visit for right before surgery. In that case, that would be a different date of service, you know, because midnight starts over the date of service. So in that scenario, the visit would be billed in the PA's name, not the doctor's name. Cindy, I want to thank you so much for your time and your expertise and sharing with our audience. Of course. Thank you for listening to the Ortho PAC podcast. Please look for updates on PAOS and a review of our annual practice and salary survey, which will be coming up soon.